before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to the truth description as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. The issue isn't the issue. The issue is what you tell yourself about the issue. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Today I had a lot of fun, a great conversation, great energy. My discussion with Ms. Jody Womack, who's a leadership coach, author, and leadership trainer. And for her personal truth, she talked about the importance of deciding what is important in your life, which will then determine how you want to show up. So the example she gave was she's very successful touring, doing speaking engagements all over the world, very successful in her leadership business with her husband. And her mom got sick. And when her mom got sick, she realized that she didn't want to sacrifice spending time with her mom, taking care of her mom. She didn't want to sacrifice that in lieu of getting more clients, doing more speaking engagements. So she had she had to prioritize. And I think often it's difficult. And even I go through this. You have four to five thousand different people, places or things vying for your attention and for your energy. And often you have to make a decision about what's important. What do you want to focus on based on how you want to show up in your life? So for her, she wanted to show up as the caregiver. And she knew that doing that and doing traveling all over the world, doing speaking engagements was not going to mesh. So that was her personal. Her professional was simply, and I love this, introverts can speak to groups because she herself is a self-described introvert. And over time, because of her recognition of what was true for her, she was able to begin to speak to large, large groups, even though there's a part of her that likes being alone. And I think it's important because even for myself or any only children out there or any people who have a fear of public speaking, understand that if you leverage your own experience, you will be undefeated. I'm going to say that again. If you leverage your own experience, you will be undefeated. So when you're on stage or you're at the dais, you're wherever you are speaking to these large groups of people. I don't even say large groups. You're speaking to more than 10 people. If you're speaking from your own experience, then you can't lose and you'll actually have power behind what you're saying. And that was the same thing that she discovered in her process of going from introvert to leadership coach and speaker. And after we talked about her professional truth, we discussed, went through some questions. We talked about the 30-30 rule and what that is. We talked about 
how to obtain a mentor and what exactly is a mentor. We talked about the three different types of conversations, transactional relationship and opportunities and how all those intertwine. We talked about the challenges of having a business relationship with a spouse or a sibling. So all of these things we got into, I really enjoyed my conversation with Miss Jody Womack. So just sit back, relax and take a listen. Good people. Welcome back. Truth Prescription. This is episode number 56. Time is flying. Today, I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing Mrs. Jody Womack. Hi, Jody. Hey, good to see you, doctor. <laughs> so before we get into the interview, I just want to tell a funny story that Jody and I was supposed to, I was supposed to do an interview with her maybe about three months ago. Our channels got crossed. She was traveling across the country in a, in a car. And so that didn't happen. And then yesterday I was ill, which I'm like, never ill. I was ill. So I had to cancel, but unbeknownst to me, she was actually traveling to New York today. So it all worked out. Perfectly. Perfect, perfect synchronicity, perfect timing. So Jody is a leadership coach. She's a co-author and co-founder of the Get Momentum Leadership Training Program. And that's been going on since 2012. And her and her husband, what's your husband's first name again? Jason. Her and her husband, Jason, so cute, Jason and Jody. <laughs> her and her husband, Jason, teach this course and um, do other sort of leadership training. I know through that process, she's had to deal with some truth, had to accept some truth. And so that's why I wanted to have her on the show. So Jody, let's jump right into the truth prescription for my new listeners. Essentially, the premise of the show is that we as human beings tend to ignore truth. And the reason we ignore it is because it's not comfortable. It's difficult. It's hard. What I found and what a lot of my guests found and people that have become successful is that once you actually accept and decide to accept the truth, doors will open and you can continue down on the um, your successful path that you have started. So, Jody, let's do you want to do personal or professional? Let's do personal first. OK, I like that. This, this is good. Most people, they get scared of the personal. So tell us a personal truth. Tell us a story about something that you experienced, a truth that you maybe either were not aware of or were actually just ignoring that once you accepted it, you were able to get to the other side. A couple years ago, I went home to visit my folks and I gave my dad a big hug and I went over and I gave my mom a big hug and my mom felt so slight, really skinny and almost frail. She's never frail in my mind. And I said, hey, mom, can I go to the doctor with you just to visit, just to, so I can hear what he thinks might be going on? And that doctor visit led to a specialist, which led to a scan and another test and blood tests and about eight months worth of visits. And it turns out she had dementia. It was just starting. And she was so thin because she was not remembering to eat. So she was literally starving in her own home surrounded by people she loved. And it was devastating to me. And I felt terrible. I felt like a terrible, terrible daughter in person and had this huge impact on me. Like, oh, I need to step up my game now as a daughter. Like, what does that mean now? Helping with 
doctor visits and meds and tracking things. And my dad's a little older. He's in his eighties and my mom's in her seventies. And so it's everything. It's teaching my dad how to do the technology so we can do video (laughs) chats and he holds up the camera so I can see the medicine (laughs) bottles to make sure that he's putting the right ones and the right things. And, you know, just things that I never thought I would have to deal with, or I, I didn't anticipate this. And then about Eight months ago, my husband, Jason, accepted a job with the Air Force to help them build their leadership program at their university in Montgomery, Alabama. My first response was I burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where were you guys located at that time? In a small town near Santa Barbara, California. So moving from Southern California to the heart of the deep south. Yeah. Seamless transition, let me tell you. So that was hence my my cross-country drive across in a car a couple of times. And so then the level of stress of managing my parents and helping out being a good daughter from 2000 miles away instead of a hundred miles away was another level of stress. And so this truth of, I really need to decide what's important in my life. And it's helped me prioritize and things that I thought were really important. And I wanted are not as important in comparison to the way I want to show up for the people I love the most. And so that's been huge. And so I'm extremely fortunate in that I write and speak for a living. And so every trip I make rounds its way through (laughs) LAX airport so that I can go see my mama and give her a hug and make sure she's eating and walking and doing all those things that she needs to do. So it's a great gift, but it's not what I thought was going to happen with my life. And it's not the easy path for sure. So when you say deciding what's important, does that mean that you may be turning down some gigs or... There's some speaking engagements or opportunities that you won't take because you know that it may interfere with your mom and her care. Wow. Yeah. So she goes on my calendar first and then I book my trips and my vacations and my, my seeing my girlfriends and any other, the priorities go down after that. I want to have a rich, vibrant life with my husband and have good, strong relationships and have a great career. And all of those things come in after I make sure mom and dad are, are sound. And I'm, I've got my visit and my hugs in. Interesting. How does that affect your primary relationship, right? Your relationship with your husband, because you guys have a business together. Part of that business is you speaking, is you going to these events? How has he handled, sort of handled it? He's super supportive. And he pushes on me harder than anybody else and anybody I ever thought could. I think he knows me so well, he expects more of me. So he's one of those people that have challenged me to step up. I'm a huge introvert. It's strange being in front of a mic saying that. (laughs) Right. And even meeting you. I mean, you're tall, you're statuesque, you look me in the eye, we talked. I didn't get the insecurity energy. I wouldn't say introverts are insecure. We just, given the choice, we'd rather be out in the hills by ourselves rather than in a cocktail party or a conference surrounded by people. So where do you go to get your energy? Where do you go to reboot? And a lot of people that's, you know, quiet retreat or, you know, to the heart and the center of, of thriving peopleness. Yeah. But I, I realized I had a lot to share, a lot I wanted to talk about with people. And Jason, I started speaking on stage and he's hugely extroverted. He, like he wakes up in the morning looking for a mic and people to talk to. <laughs> and so when we speak on stage together, it's really sweet because the audience gets to see a spectrum. You don't have to be Superman, gung-ho, get up at four in the morning and be all you can be. And that's who Jason is. He does triathlon. He's, he's super engaging and, and energetic and loves to be surrounded by people all the time. 
a lot of times I'll say, and for all the introverts in the audience, I'll be in the hallway. And, you know, the audience just divides like the sea. The introverts all line up individually and I shake their hands and I talk to them one at a time. And it's, it's really very nice. And then Jason will be in the heart of the group with like 100 people all around him. And, and it's just, we find our people. And it's really nice to know that there's not one way to do this thing. We call it life. Yeah. Okay. I'm a professional. The truth. Yeah. Introverts can speak to groups. That's, that's my biggest challenge. I didn't know I had it in me. And I used to work for another speaker and I planned all his public events and I, I managed the customer service and I, I did all the behind the scenes invisible stuff. And he used to ask me, Oh, do you want to introduce me? I'm like, Oh God, no. Like, Oh, <laughs> that is not where I want to be. And then I started hosting these women, once I started my company with Jason, I started hosting these women's networking events, these women's business socials. And from that, people would tell me all kinds of things about the hardships they were having, the struggles they were having. And then they'd come back the next month and tell me how they overcame it or who they met because they showed up and how it's getting better. And so all of a sudden I had these stories that I wanted to share and these lessons that were genuine. They weren't book knowledge because... Just like with the dementia story and people who are managing kids and managing people with special needs or managing their parents, you can't learn adulting in a book. There's a lot of <laughs> feet on <laughs> no. the ground. Adulting. I like that. Adulting. I like that term. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like taking care of the house and the kids and the car and the dog or whatever you got going on. It's a lot. So that's what I like doing is just sharing real stories and, and keeping it real and, and letting people know that there's support and there's things people can do to, to help get through those hard times. Were you able to overcome the fear once you found a message that you were passionate about? That's what it sounds like. Yes. As soon as I stopped trying to teach somebody else's information and be like the font of knowledge that came from somewhere else, as soon as I shifted it inside of me, it's like, oh, I'm just sharing stories of things that I know. Now I'm just talking with friends and the people who show up are there because they want to hear what I have to say and what I went through and what I I've gathered along the way. And so inside of me, it's like, now I'm speaking to friends not audiences and I'm just sharing stories instead of teaching. And it's like, Oh, I can do that. You do that at the coffee shop with friends all the time. You share something you learned. That's so important. One of my season one guests, his name is Ali Muhammad. He's an Oscar nominated cinematographer. He said, if you can learn how to leverage your own experience, you will be undefeated. And I just always remember that, like, wow, that's like beautiful. that's amazing the way he said it. And he didn't say it on my show. He said it on his podcast, <laughs> but I, I love it. And that's essentially what you're saying, that your confidence was able to come when you started just working from the inside out versus the outside in. Beautiful. Okay. Let's get into some questions. So you talk about momentum. Why should people embrace change? Kind of like, what do you tell people that say, well, you know, Jody, I'm stuck and things are happening around me and I need to flow, but I'm just not flowing. You know, like, well, how do you, how do you sort of guide that, that individual? People don't change until they have to, they have to because they want to, or they have to because the pain is so bad. And that's true for diets or getting a new job or getting out of a into a great relationship or out of a bad one, you know, the, the worst possible thing is a place that's good enough where you could settle. And it's like a job that's good enough. It's safe enough. It's enough money. You know, those, those are okay when you just need to catch your breath in life and, and regroup. 
but it'll never satisfy you. It will never fulfill you. You'll never thrive and, and give it all you've got. So when people say they're stuck, it's like, well, you're not stuck enough yet. Because uh, if you were, <laughs> you'd, you'd be saying like, I gotta. Get me the hell out of here. Get me the hell out of here. I have to do something different. When things went weird with my mom, it's like, I have to be there and I have to be fully present. For a while, I was bringing her up to our home in Ojai from Los Angeles. And I would take care of her a couple days, give my dad a week off or so. And I don't have kids, but I would try and figure out how to fill somebody's day. And so, you know, those adult coloring books oh, where you yeah. get, my mom's really artistic. And so I got her some of those and I got her some postcards to, to mail and write. And she wrote a postcard to her mom, my grandma, who had happened to have died three years before that, but she didn't remember. And she goes, oh, dear mom, I'm here visiting Jody, but she's so busy. I hope she has some time for me later. And it's like, oh, the dagger in the heart and just <laughs> twisting. And I, I read this postcard later and I kept it as a reminder. It's like being physically in the room with somebody is not being present. Being on your phone, being on typing, that is not good enough. And people know it. So I'm, I'm really glad I got that hard lesson because it changed me. And I just told Jason and my clients, like, when I'm with her, I, I'm like on vacation. I'm not available. I don't do calls. I don't check email. I am 100% with her because these are the moments. She remembers who I am right now. Now that I know how precious that is and I don't know how long that lasts, I got to soak up every drop of that. And then when I work, I work hard and I work efficiently and I work productively and I put my head down and I, I, I power through. So it's really helped prioritize playtime, love time, work time, all that. The buckets. Yeah. yeah. I read on the website, one of the clients said that your program has saved her, I think, an hour a day or something like that. That's what this makes me think of, you know, just being real able to get that laser like focus in terms of what you're doing, have intent and meaning behind each thing you're doing. And it's amazing because people love productivity tips and there are books and articles and podcasts that'll tell you how to get all these things. But the problem is people don't know what to backfill that time with. You know, it's like, oh, a meeting got canceled. So you have an extra hour. What do you do? Like, oh, most people check their email. First thing they do is like, woohoo, yeah. And then they <laughs> leave it on their calendar. And the third thing they do is like, oh, what should I do? I'll check email. I'll go get a coffee, bother some people in the office, you know, like manage whatever that. Right. Look at YouTube. Routine is exactly. But if I said, you know, if you want to get home in time for dinner with your family, there's a reason to get an hour more productive a day. That can clarify and motivate and prioritize what you do and what you choose to play with. This is a, like a side note, just a side comment based on what you said. You know, I think it's, it's very difficult a lot of times for adults entrepreneurs, maybe not so much, but people that are sort of making that transition to the employment model, to the entrepreneurial model. Because if you think about it, since elementary school, we've been told where to go, the times that we're going to do it. And then when we get home, my parents have some agenda for us. Then we go to college, they tell us, these are the classes, this is what you need to take. Everybody's always directing our time. And so then when you come out and even at work, you know, you're at work from nine to five, these are the tasks you do. You know, you work 40 hours a week, whatever it is. Do you know anybody that just works nine to five? No, no. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that. But no, yeah, no most people, you. you know, if it's flex time, but nobody leaves at five, five right. thirty, or you know, whatever. But everybody's always telling us what to do and where to go. And so then, when you try to transition to an to an entrepreneurial space, it can be a little crazy. Like, who? Even for me, someone who's sort of the work that I do as a physician, I do what's called 
per diem work. So basically I give them the time that I'm available and then they fill it in. So I'm not an employee anywhere, but that's sort of how I can, you know, make some income. But even for me, sometimes when I have free time, it's like, like you said, how do I backfill? What do I do? I get in that mindset. So I recently actually hired a project manager to sort of help the team stay focused and help me stay focused day to day what I need to be doing. So it's difficult. You know, it's difficult. And part of it is our education does not train us really how to be self-sufficient and self-directing. Yeah. And I think it's difficult because like you're saying, we don't get educated in that executive level thinking because that's what it is. What should I be working on? What are my priorities? What has the biggest payoff? And sometimes the biggest payoff is walking around the block on a beautiful New York city day like today <laughs> and walking around soaking up some sun. It's so that you have some, some energy and some juice to, you know, come back to the office and really devote yourself to what you've got on your schedule. But that is absolutely a key life skill that employees could, should have, and maybe people could practice it in their personal life. Because yes, it, the easiest thing to do is to go home, turn on a screen and let the world entertain you or distract you. But if you said, listen, do you want to learn something, go somewhere, connect with somebody, make something, do something, you know, do you want to have anything different now? And that's why I love that word momentum. Talk about it. Yeah. I you just, get passionate about it. <laughs> You're never done with momentum. Momentum is like ocean waves. They come and they go and there's ups and they're down. There's cycles and it's exciting and, and it's unknown. But it, there's movement and people want to be part of movements. Yeah. So second question, would you encourage people to work with their spouse or partner? What are some of the challenges and benefits since you, you and your husband work together? Right. We've been hanging out since 27 years. We're coming up on 20 years of marriage. We met in the front row of history class. Yes, I asked yeah. him for his notes. He and said, like, no. no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and we were very different students. I knew if I got to new people, I would do better in class and people would help me. And same with the professors. And I was in, you know, big university. And so I was one of a thousand kids in undergraduate classes. But he said, no, you could come to the library and study with me. And that, that was how we started hanging out. And we found we were really good at editing each other's work and not criticizing the person. And that's been our partnership for 20 plus years. They say criticism without love is an aggression. Huh, yeah. And truly the criticism for us comes from like, I know you could be great. I know this work could be great and let me help you get there. This is what I'm seeing is missing. And I know you can fill it. Like I know you can improve <laughs> it. So that's where the, it comes with a lot of love. People know straight up they could work with their spouse or they couldn't. There's no middle ground. And and it's not even that you love being together or something like that. You know you have that kind of relationship or you know you need six, eight, <laughs> ten hours apart so you can you know, miss each other a little bit and then come back. For us, it's a huge blessing because we decided we worked for the same company before we had our own. And he was on the road doing presentations and I was in an office running operations. So even though we worked for the same company, we were like ships passing in the night. And he was going to these amazing venues all over the world and then rushing back because he missed me. Or I would use my vacation time to go with him on these gorgeous trips and beautiful places. And I'd sit in a hotel room or sit around, wait for him to get off work. And then, you know, so it was like, this isn't quite it. And so after we both quit and launched our own, we said, we want, really helped us prioritize what we wanted work to look like. And we wanted to be geographically independent was the word we came up with, which means laptop, Wi-Fi can travel. 
give us an airport, train station, we can get to anywhere in the planet and do this work. That was for us the kind of lifestyle we want. Again, no kids. At the time, our parents were healthy and younger and, and everything was grooving. Now we're, I'm shifting where I use that, that mobility as a way to go home and visit and, and just include it in my, my work life. Geographically, geographically independent. Independent is definitely possible when you're when you don't have any children. Mission impossible when you have children. <laughs> Challenging because they, because sure, they sure. need to go to school. Was that a joint decision that you guys made about the children? Yes, and there were times over the twenty years we thought maybe, but what we both came to was one of us should really, really, really want this more than anything else going on, and we were both okay with it and up for it, but neither but it one of us super passionate. Yeah. Okay. Tell my listeners a little bit about your 30, 30 rule and how that can benefit them. This is strategic planning for life. And I wish they taught this in high school. I wish they taught this to kids. Don't you wish you got some I like wish life I skills? I learned a whole lot of stuff when I was in high school, please. <laughs> yes. I'm just talking about this with my wife the other day, just like basic, just basic emotional skills, just like basic stuff like I'm responsible for my own reactions, like basic stuff like that. <laughs> Nobody tells you this stuff. I wish they would teach risk management to teenagers. I think that would be a fascinating class because I think adults tell kids risk is bad, risk is terrible. And yet we manage risk all the time with behaviors, with money, with options and choices we make. The relationships. Relationships, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's a payoff to risk and that's why people are so drawn to it. But I think just like any vice, we don't give it the respect it deserves and, and give it the voice of what, what's on the other side of it to get to know people and why are some people willing to take that risk and other people aren't. So the 30-30 rule, trying to tie that back together, is <laughs> working on something for 30 minutes that isn't due for 30 days or more. And the reason that came about is things on my calendar kept surprising me. Like, oh, that's tomorrow. Oh, my, I missed that. Oh, sh oh, so shit. <laughs> I, you know, and that shouldn't happen because things on my calendar, I've already agreed to. There's plenty in the world. There is chaos coming my way that I don't have, know anything about yet. So the things I have agreed to that I have actually put on my calendar and agreed, yes, I will do that, be there to have this done by then. I can't let that surprise me. And most people say, well, I'll just look at today and tomorrow, or I'll look at this week. And they never get that that vision of up and out, getting ahead. They're always playing catch up. And so there's really three time zones, the catch up, keep up and get ahead. So going back to that idea, like meeting gets canceled. First thing you do, woo second thing, <laughs> leave it on your calendar. Third thing, people say, oh, let me go catch up on email because that's the only option we've seen anybody else do. And that's the only thing our brain could come up with. The idea of getting ahead. It's like, what if you assumed you were not available to the world for those 30 minutes for the meeting or 60 minute meeting, whatever you were going to be unavailable for. And you said, I'm going to devote this 60 minute session to moving the mission forward. 60 minutes of getting ahead in my life, personally, professionally, financially, relationship. What birthdays are coming? What trips do I want to take? What's going on with my kid's life? Who's got science projects, graduations, <laughs> holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, whatever's coming our way. What if we gave ourselves the gift of our own attention and looked out a month. And, and we say a month, it could be, you know, go for 30 days 
And then you can keep looking up and out. You won't know if it works for 30 days. So that's the bad news. But the good news is what if you could start delegating, renegotiating or canceling things on your calendar? It's like, no, I don't know what I was thinking then. I absolutely don't want to go to that event or be part of this thing or, you know, who should go, you know, who would like this. And we can start managing ourselves instead of reacting to, you know, these chaos bombs that show up on our calendar where there's six <laughs> events on bombs. one, you know, have you ever had one of those Saturdays Absolutely. where you've, you've yeah. said yes to everything? It's like, Oh, this isn't a day off. This is twice as busy as a work day. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a shit show. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. Sorry. Excuse right? my language. Yeah. So whose life is it and who's running it? It's like, well, if it's my life and if I have all these new priorities, I say, well, this is really what's important to me. And I really want to have a fabulous Saturday with my husband when he's at home because I'm going to be gone next Saturday because I'm going to be visiting my folks. What does a fun Saturday with a spouse with someone I love look like? And it's not doing 50 events, 50 events or errands and, you know, supermarket or whatever, you know, whatever all that, that life stuff is. So yeah. how do we want to play? And that the 30-30 rule, that's in the book, right? You that is. In the, book. Yeah. the book is called Get Momentum. When did you write this book? This book came out in 2016. And the big joke was Jason wrote it and I deleted it. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been about a that's thousand funny. pages because he's a master storyteller. And each story leads to another story and another train of thought. There are five questions that it's a self-coaching book is basically what the core, what it is. And at first there were 18 questions and he said, you know, you're going to need to memorize all these and be able to do it on stage. I said, no, it's never going to happen. Nobody can remember 18 questions. I can't. I mean, as a, as an audience member, I think it's important. You want to make something that's in a block form that's impactful that you can take with you. Yeah. Right. At some point the brain just numbs out like, Oh, too many. 20, 2,700 ways to get better. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, I said, I can remember five and hopefully an audience member is going to find one of those at least that they can say like the 30, 30 rule, like, Oh, I get that. I, I can do that. And, and try it for five days. Try it for five days, 30 minutes. See if life doesn't change. See if you feel a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more in control. People are like wild, feeling wildly out of control. And I think it's because we're in this reaction catch up mode all the time. Yeah, a lot of anxiety. Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about in terms of, you know, helping you find momentum. You talk a lot about finding mentors. Any tips for folks trying to find a mentor that maybe they don't have a personal connection to? Yeah, I say build your team. And I like the term mentor because that to me is not somebody I pay, but that's someone who knows me and cares for me. Could also be a coach, coaches I pay for. There's teachers, and that's usually I sign up for a class or something online or in person. Uh, therapists, you know, there are lots of people who fit that bill of like, who's helping you think new thoughts? That's the way I like to see it because left to my own device, I just get stuck in these ruts. And that's another one of those things about momentum is if you keep thinking the way you always thought and asking yourself the same questions, you never get out of your own way. You're, you're always going to repeat and always going to see the same blocks and the same opportunities. But you add one or two people that really care about you and have these special interests or skills or life experience. Now, all of a sudden, we can have a new conversation. So build a team. Build your team. So it doesn't necessarily need to be like, you know, if it's an actor trying to email Denzel, it can just be Anyone that helps you to see things differently that cares about you. Yes. And you can learn a lot from people that may, you may not have a two-way conversation with. 
So documentaries, books, podcasts, there are tons of ways to learn from people about the path you want to be taking instead of the path you're on. So I love autobiographies. I love learning about people. I do a lot with women who are first, you know, so I love hearing about people who have gone before and my mentor here in New York City. Give her a shout out. Yeah. Frances Hesselbein. (laughs) She ran the Girl Scouts of America in the 70s and 80s, and she took it from the lowest enrollment to the highest at the time. And she also took it from the lowest amount of diversity to the highest amount. And her vision at the time in the 70s was she wanted every girl in America from California to New York, from Florida to Alaska, to be able to look at a Girl Scout brochure and see herself reflected, see a photo of a girl or a woman that looked like her. And she was just a pioneer in thinking that way. And she made real changes. So yeah, any chance I get to hang out with her, I call her my sustainability mentor because she's a centurion. Is that what we call yes. someone in the 103. 100 yes. plus club? Yeah. And it's an honor to be with her. And she's hum- she's one of those humble leaders that never makes it about her and what she did, but she always gives the glory to the team and the people who stepped up to the occasion and really made change. And so I love those kinds of leaders where it's like, I want to emulate that. I want to be like that. What do you think it is about her that makes her worthy of being a leader? I heard you say that in order to be a good leader, you have to have good leadership traits. People have to want to follow you. It's not that just because you have the name. There are people that are CEOs that are probably terrible leaders, right? So what, what do you think it is about her that gives her that term of sort of real leader? She has a vision of what she sees as a better version of the world. And she does everything in her power to make reality more like that. And she's not afraid to ask for help. The first time I saw her was at a holiday party and I didn't know who she was. And she's kind of like Yoda. She's about four foot something, <laughs> a little, little woman. And she had this bling on her, her jacket, her, her Chanel coat. And it turned out to be the Presidential Medal of Freedom with an army sword above it, which w- was presented to her. I had no idea what I was looking at. And then she told me the stories of how she got that from, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Clinton. It was one of those things where around her office, she has one wall of pictures of her with presidents. And then she has another wall of her with first ladies and then dignitaries and four-star generals and everybody in between. And every time she'll point somebody out and she'll, she'll tell me the story of how she met them or what was the occasion and, and how they were so gracious to invite her to the white house to help them make changes in education or advise them in new programs for girls and youth and racial diversity. She just has a will and a vision and she doesn't let anything stop her. And she, she keeps going up the chain of command. Like that's something she's not afraid to do is call the CEO of a company and say, Hey, have you ever considered working with girls in certain regions to help uplift their opportunities? Like she can just see that and play connect the dots. And so I love being surrounded by people that see what doesn't exist yet and then start playing with players that share that same vision. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Frances Hesselbein, and she manages a leadership journal called Leader to Leader. So if you get a chance to look her up, she is a legend in my mind. Speaking about having these different types of conversations, why don't you talk about the three different types of conversations, transactional relationship and opportunities and how they interrelate and why they're important? Yes. When I talk to people and they say, oh, I talk to my kids all the time. 
It's like, oh, you know, you seem to have problems. Tell me about it. They need help. And it's like, well, I talk to my kids all the time. I tell them to pick up the room. I tell them to do their homework. I tell them to, you know, why didn't you? When are you going to? How come you didn't? It's like, those are valid conversation points. Those all fall under the transactional type conversations. And they usually start off with, you know, why didn't you? When are you going to? How do you? very tactical. They're tasks. They're the to-dos of life. And same with work. If you're a manager, you want to know what's happening, who's got the ball, when's it going to be done, all that sort of stuff. That's great. And that's where you also build trust. When people do what they say they're going to do in the time they said they'd do it, boom, that's the person you go to next time, right? But that's not a relationship. That's a (laughs) taskmaster. And relationships are built on that kind of trust. Like, oh, These are the kind of people that respond back and do the work that they said they'd do. And the ball starts rolling. There is momentum. So that's where you start building rapport and trust. I don't know if you've ever been on date night, you know, so you finally get date night out with that special person and then you sit down and they, somebody says, you're at a fine restaurant, right? A nice (laughs) beverage in front of you. And they say, Hey, did you call visa and get that fraud chart handled? Did you call about getting kids into camp? Hey, did you pick up the dry cleaner? It's like, that's not date night. That's a staff meeting at a really inconvenient location. (laughs) You're all dressed up without your laptop and your to-do list. So I think people blend it. They think the venue determines the relationship and it's not, it's the conversations we're having. So relationship building is, Hey, how are you doing with, tell me a little bit about what's going on with, and again, at work, at home, have a different conversation with your kid. If you want a different reaction, different response, like instead of like, Hey, did you learn anything in school today? No. Do you have any homework? No. Like getting out of those, those ruts that most people are in because I don't know. We just, we always answer the same question with the same answer. Don't you find? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like how you get creative and find a way. How you doing? Fine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I saw something really strange went on at school. Tell me about that. I heard you got a new student in class. Do you find out where they're from? Like, how do we do open-ended questions with people instead of the yes, no, right, wrong get new conversations going. And again, that's to build the rapport, show that you actually care. You're not just checking off the to-do list. You're actually sitting and saying, when my mom wrote that note and she said, Jody's (laughs) too busy to be with me, basically, and take the dagger out of my heart. That wasn't a relationship building experience for her being in the same room near me. Not easy. uh, And I'll tell you, People aren't doing it because they don't want to. They're doing it because it's hard, because it takes effort, because it takes a new kind of thinking to have those kinds of experiences. So how do we take our teams out to lunch or take somebody one-on-one and and have a real conversation about what their corporate career goals are so that we know how to support them? Like, where do you want to be in five years and how, what kind of training support program could we help get you into or what kind of project would you like to be managing? And how do I give you small pieces of that so that you can start, you know, building a reputation in that area? That's relationship building. That's when, when people on your team have your back and will do a little bit extra, will warn you when things start to go weird, but that's earned because you've invested in them. They're willing to share back. It's reciprocal. Over time. Over time. Absolutely. And then those types of things lead to the last part of the triangle are the opportunities, the openings. Where could we be? Oh, you know, we have this as a plan for this project, but what do you see it as? You're taking a totally different direction, somewhere even bigger, a 10Xing. 
wow, tell me about that. Who would we need to partner with? Frances didn't change the Girl Scouts by herself. She partnered with people and she had a vision that was grand, 10x, 100x to get girls across America to see themselves as young leaders, young female leaders. That was revolutionary in that time. Now it seems a little mainstream. It's not even as edgy, but at the time that was really cutting edge. Yeah. And even still, I mean, it's it's coming into fruition. I mean, the sort of recognition by the mainstream of the power and prowess of women is newish, but definitely in the 70s, it was, you know, unheard of. Okay. You ready to go on a yes or BS? <gasps> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'm so excited. excited. Yeah, I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited. <laughs> we don't prepare anything ahead of time. These are all spontaneous answers. Number one, public speaking is easier than writing a book. Oh, no. Not for an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) Writing a book helps with public speaking. You know, that's funny. I think for an introvert, writing helps my speaking. And for extroverts, I bet speaking would help their writing. You know, it's like finding what you're actually good at and playing around in that mode to elevate it to the next, to To move it around. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay. Number two, change your diet and change your life. Absolutely. Change your energy, change the blood flow to your brain. Are you foggy and thick or are you clear and concise? Recall, memory, so important. I mean, I'm super sensitive to all that now. I remember I gave my, because all kids like candy, right? My oldest, she's 15 now, but when she was like maybe four or five, I did this little experiment when I said, you want this Snicker bar? I said, okay, I understand. I mean, I never gave her candy, but she would sneak candy here and there. I said, all right, let's do this. I'm going to give you this orange, right? I want you to eat it. See how you feel, right? In five minutes. So she did that. She's like, okay. And I said, now here, take this, this Snickers bar and eat it. And let's see how you feel after that. And let's talk about the differences. And it was an important point to show that when she ate the orange, she felt neutral to balanced, right? When she ate the Snickers bar, she felt sort of rushed and a little antsy and a little edgy because of the sugar rush. Diet is, it's, it's very important in terms of, you know, our, our minds, our bodies. It sounds cliche, but I don't think people, if they really paid attention to how the things that they eat, how it affects their cognition, I think they might, you know, they might make some alterations. And I love hearing faster. that from you as a doctor, because we don't have enough people in authority telling us how important that message oh, yeah. is. Oh, and I absolutely believe it's a leadership advantage. I teach a resilience course and we do a whole piece on self-care. And one of the pieces, I call it nutrition because food and diet have such edginess. People have an opinion about that. But if you look at food as fuel, what nutrients do you want to give yourself? It shifts a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Number three. Oh, you'll like this one. Number three. <laughs> I I feel it's a Jason question. (laughs) Tangentially. Number three, women make better leaders. Bullshit. People make great leaders. Great people make great leaders. Men, women, white, black, whatever color, whatever gender, whatever preference. I used to run women's networking events. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple times where I asked men why they were there. Instead of asking them to leave, I asked why they were there. And they said, I just want to crash the party. I was like, Okay. But you realize women don't get to be in a room very often together in a business professional way. I thought I was doing the women in the room a service. 
I realize I want to surround myself with great leaders and great leaders take risk and put their values and their priorities to guide those risks taking that they're doing. I don't like to pigeonhole anybody. I don't know that one or the other is better. And I, I've been really fortunate to get to work with the military as well as corporate and nonprofits and higher education. And we all have a lot to learn from one another. There are quite a few skills and benefits of having a great diverse group help lead and make decisions. Okay. Number four, this goes back to the self-care. Getting improper rest is similar to being intoxicated. I have read that is true. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So have I. I think as a culture, most people are exhausted and they have no idea the physical ramifications they're having on their body and their mind. I recently read an article in the New York Times in early April about people's pain threshold and how much pain meds they'll take. And if they get less sleep, they take more pain meds as opposed to getting more more sleep, they don't need as much pain medicine, analgesia. Yeah. Yes, like artificial support in having because their body can physically handle it. And so there's so much healing that happens and so much cognitive rebalancing, rebalancing that happens when we sleep. And I personally love sleep. I think it's one of the, <laughs> when you talk about the riches of life, I think restful sleep is one of those things that truly money cannot buy. It helps. <laughs> it's similar to the diet in terms of just recalibrating things and getting you organized, you know, getting some internal order to uh, tackle your day. And the problem is we all can survive four nights of sleep or the baby wakes you up every hour. It's like the downside is we survive, but we're not thriving. And anytime they study it, they see more errors. You know, there's just issues with anytime we compromise those basic life skills, those basic life care elements. Indeed. Number five, (laughs) love at first sight is a myth. Oh, no, I think Jason fell in love with me right away. (laughs) That is hilarious. That is so funny. Because when I heard heard you tell a story before, it was almost like he kind of brushed you off. But maybe that was him telling you, no, coming to the library was his way of extending the time right because he oh, could have totally. just, just given you the note in the classroom and that would have been it that would have been it but now it's like you have now you're invested in yeah. you know a he wanted down. to build a relationship yeah whatever that <laughs> looked like but yes were you attracted to him was it purely you you wanted to get the notes or did you think he was cute i knew he was cute and i knew he was smart <laughs> and i think that was very attractive <laughs> and then truly we were just best friends for a really long time and yeah, he traveled. He went away to Mexico. He went to San Diego and he came back and invited me out on a date for ice cream and a walk. So yeah, he was my kind of guy. <laughs> All right. And the last one, number six, creating momentum is much easier for men. No, bullshit. People can create all kinds of obstacles, again, whatever their story is that they're telling themselves. What we tell ourselves is more true than what is actually, actually happening, happening. Yes. for sure. Can you say that again for the listeners? Say that, 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 <laughs> that, that phrase. Say it one more time. Because I say it, but, you know, I like it when other people say it. Go ahead. Okay, so, so another way of saying it is the issue isn't the issue. The issue is what you tell yourself about the issue. <laughs> and the great. same is with opportunities. 
And you can see this with kids in a family that all go through a trauma. And one kid tells themselves, I am scarred and damaged and I will never be the same. And another kid says, wow, this really hard thing happened and I am never going to let that happen to me again and I'm going to work my ass off and be the best I can be and provide for myself so that I have a buffer and step up and never be a victim again. It's the same story, but it's the different storyteller. And so we need to be better storytellers for our lives because great, amazing things are possible. We have to stop waiting for permission. We have to start designing and adulting and executive designing this for ourselves of what we really think is important because we don't know how much time we have. And that (laughs) lesson sucks when you get it the hard way. So choose it. Yeah. And I think also sometimes it's, I think sometimes we sit around and wait for someone to tell us something that's going to change our perspective when we can just tell ourselves and it'll change everything if that's what we want. I mean, that's why at the end of the show, I always say the truth will set you free if you let it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I mean, you have to be willing. You have to be willing. So anyway, speaking of the end of the show, that's all I have. Thank you. That's all I have. You're a treat. This was great. <laughs> so Jody, tell the listeners how they can learn more about the Get Momentum program, more about your book, how they can, can contact you if they want to get more information. So I always say, choose the mode that you love to learn in. So if you love books, great. Amazon, The Get Momentum Book by Jody and Jason Womack. It's on audio and it's on ebook if you like to listen to books that way. And getmomentum.com. All my information's there and would love to stay in touch. Excellent. Well, Jody, I'm so thankful that you came to New York and we were able to do this. And, you know, synchronicity. We will definitely continue the conversation. Excellent. Maybe, maybe Jason will come in and oh, you'll hear hey. the he said side. <laughs> <laughs> I hear his extroverted uh, uh, <laughs> side, right? All right. Well, good people. Thank you for listening once again to the truth description. I will sign off as I always say the truth will set you free if you let it.